This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. It's time for another Feminist Movie Friday. Yay! We're going to make this a thing. So, wait, this is because it's coming out on Friday, not that we're watching it on Friday? It's however it fits into the lives of whoever's listening. Friday? Yes. It should publish on Fridays, but if you don't watch it on a Friday, that's totally cool. <laughs> if you don't watch it ever, that's also totally cool. Are you saying say listen? Yeah. Okay. Well, no, no, I'm talking about movies. movie. Oh, okay, okay. Where, yeah, see, there's a lot of things. You could make this work on Friday yeah, however you want to. Yeah, I'm very confused about, you know, what senses we're supposed to be using right now. That seems to be a general confusion we have. Just in general, confused. (laughs) Um, So, I got to choose the last movie for uh, Feminist Movie Friday. Yeah. And so, this one, it was more of a uh, Samantha choice. I feel like it was a team effort because we were both trying to figure out what movie is holiday but without being too holiday. Right. Because, like we talked about in our... um, Emotional labor holiday edition episode. Samantha's not a big holiday fan. No. Nope. And um, back when I was sort of semi hostless, uh, I did a holiday movie overview with uh, my friend Katie. It was mostly Hallmark movies. Yes. Hi, Katie. She's Hi, an expert Katie. in those. Um, but we thought we'd tackle some lesser discussed holiday movies today. Uh, so that you, this is more than one film. Right. But and to be fair, yes. The movie that I chose, uh-huh. it's very much. Like, even though they might not be singing holiday carols, Uh there's a lot of holiday decorations in the the entire movie. Yes. And and so we've built it up. Here we go. We're talking about Batman Returns. Yeah. With a little bit of Iron Man 3. A little bit. And a little bit of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Very little. Yes. Um, I would like to say, though, we will be coming back to the craft and the many suggestions you guys had. Mm -hmm. We decided to go ahead and start our holiday edition uh-huh. with a little bit of feminist turn. Again, I don't like holidays. Um, although I, I kind of enjoy some holiday movies. I already said that I like Love Actually, and that is an absolute yeah. holiday movie. But uh-huh. that was just too on the nose for yeah. us. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them, as we discussed, I think, in the past past episode, um, hard to have much feminist discussion in them unless we're just like, well, this is all a problem here. <laughs> Um, and surprisingly, Batman Returns, there's a lot to be said. A lot to be said. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you were surprised. And somehow, we wedged a viewing in for both 
Batman Returns and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Was, and, I, and then we had even like definitely half, Hallows, yeah, part one. Yeah, we had a little <laughs> bit of like uh, Harry Potter in there. So it was yeah. a long night. It was a very long night. Um, yeah. Also, I feel like uh, I missed an opportunity to have the live interaction commentary that you put on, Annie. <laughs> Uh, it's almost as entertaining as the actual movie. And so if you guys ever want to treat, if I could ever live stream you watching Spider-Man <gasps> Into the Spider-Verse, and it will never be a clip of the movie. It's just you squealing <laughs> at the movie the entire time. It's, oh man, I had so About much Kirby dots. Kirby dots. And I was, the lines. Yes, and the frame rate. And the, it was so, the, and I'm, I'm, so my friend Joe was there and the two of you were just having a back and forth and I kept looking at both of you going, you guys are the worst people to watch movies yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, I really couldn't contain my enthusiasm. Uh, I appreciate that you let me have that Oh, Oh, moment. I'm, one day we're going to do it again and I'm going to live stream it for everyone. <laughs> I was very excited. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get to watch that. That was kind of a, a bonus. A little treat. Yes. Um, so we will return to that at the very end. And if I, I want to do Spoiled Saturdays where we just have a take on something that's really recent. And if you don't want to be spoiled, then don't yeah, listen. I feel like but. we could talk about the Joker and like we talked about previously and then um, s- s- Midsummer. I have, yeah, I have so many horror movies. That yeah. I'm like, oh, please let me talk about this. Um, but okay, today we're talking about Batman Returns. Batman Returns. Yeah, and um, for this, I did want to do a really quick overview of Catwoman because she's pretty much what we're going to be talking about right. in terms of this movie. Um, and she's been around a long, long time. I think definitely future episode because there is a lot to be said about her. Mm-hmm. But uh, quickly, um, she first appeared in 1940, right. meaning that she's been through the first, second, third, and fourth, if you want to call it that, waves of feminism. She was designed by Jerry Robinson and Bob Kane. Only three women have written for her so far, and she's only ever been drawn by men, if you're wondering. Um, she was one of the first ever female comic book superheroes in quotes. Um, <laughs> her name is Selena Kyle, and she's a cat burglar in a cat suit. Uh, she's often painted as an anti-hero and sometimes a villain and sometimes a hero. And this allows her to operate in a space where she's tough to pin down. Um, she's more than Batman's sometimes love interest. Over the years, she's been played by a handful of people, from Michelle Pfeiffer to Halle Berry to Anne Hathaway. And I think I was telling you, Samantha, I'm pretty sure... Most of the mainstream women who've played her have all been nominated for Oscars or yeah. won Nos- right. Oscars. Right. So, hey. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yes, in most depictions, she is highly sexualized. Her outfit is similar to what a dominatrix would wear, down to the whip, which is usually her weapon of choice. And then there's this quote. Um, Bob Kane once said of Catwoman, I felt that women were feline creatures and men were more like dogs. While dogs are faithful and friendly, cats are cool, detached, and unreliable. I felt much warmer with dogs around me. Cats are as hard to understand as women are. Men feel more sure of themselves with a male friend than a woman. You always need to keep women at arm's length. We don't want anyone taking over our souls, and women have a habit of doing that. So there's a love resentment thing with women. I guess women will feel that I'm being chauvinistic to speak this way, but I do feel that I've had better relationships with male friends than women. With women, once the romance is over, somehow they never remain my friends. Of course not. So this is the person who created Catwoman. 
Uh, <laughs> that might give you some insight into the character. This also might. Uh, she was created in part to combat talk of homoeroticism between Batman and Robin and to reinforce Batman's heterosexuality. Yeah. Catwoman was banned from the comics in the 50s because of the comic code that dictated that crime should never be seen to pay. And Catwoman was not acting like how a woman should behave. Oh, no. Yeah. And she didn't return until the 1960s. She was originally played by Julie Newmar in the 1960s TV series with Adam West, um, who was also then later on played by Eartha Kitt in the final season of that series, apparently because Julie Newmar was in a movie contract. She has different origin stories. So the first being known as the cat yeah. who carries the whip and has high-stakes thievery. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> I'm say High that stakes way. thievery. Um, to a stewardess with amnesia that turned to crime that then later assisted Batman in stopping crime uh, to the now, well, not the now, to the what we're talking about, right. 92 version of the revenge-seeking receptionist. Uh, or assistant. An assistant. Uh-huh. Um, to Anne Hathaway's original take on the high-stakes thief. Right. And throughout these various incarnations, one thing that has remained steady is that she is sexualized and the power her body has over others. However, since she is catering to the male gaze, it's really hard to say what is power and what is objectification. Um, and I have felt this when I've dressed as her because um, I've had a lot of super gross comments made to me, um, including one that really stands out uh, where this guy said that I, quote, knew exactly what I was doing by dressing as her. That's very rapey. It was gross. That's a very rapey comment. Uh, side note here, uh, according to some, in the original series, um, and then when we see it again in both Batman Returns and Dark Knight, the love story link between Batman and Catwoman uh, existed. However, when Eartha Kitt portrayed the role as Catwoman because she was African-American and because Adam West is was white, writers and creators felt it was too taboo and not suitable. Right for them to be an on-screen romance. So they changed that story to being Batgirl and Batman. Yes. Which is, yeah, Yeah, and uh, Batgirl, there was also Batwoman who was introduced when Catwoman was, you know, quietly shooed off the stage, who was like, see, heteronormativity, family. She was like the mom, the boring mom. And then Batman is the dad, Robin is their son. And I remember, in the because I did watch the series. I don't know, I guess I really liked the Adam West series growing Mm -hmm. up. Uh, where Batgirl was very the girl next door, yeah. while Catwoman yes. was the bad girl. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the plot. Yeah. How would you describe this plot? Because plot. it's a little convoluted. There's so many things. Because, you know, this is the beginning where they were having more than one anti-hero villain into yeah. the stories. So, Batman Returns in the 1992 Batman sequel, directed by Tim Burton, with a script by Daniel Waters. This is the same dude that did the script for Heathers. Yes. Which, so Annie, I, you acknowledged. Yes, I do. pattern here with and you. And that's going to be another movie I think we need to revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Keaton plays Bruce Wayne, Batman, who is doing his best to protect Gotham from a corrupt industrialist named Max Shrek, who is played by the wonderful Christopher Walken. His eyebrows were oh, brushed oh, up, so you guys. <laughs> and a crime boss known as The Penguin by the... Who else could it be but Danny DeVito? Like, I don't Genius know stroke. if there's going to be anyone who could replace that. Right. And it takes place... Ta-ta-da! At Christmas time, yeah. a giant tree at the opening scene. There's multiple Christmas tree lightings. Yes, there's multiple. Yes, that's true. Presents, there's a big all of that. Present box that's used as a Trojan yes, horse. Yes, to bring in all of the crazy clowns, apparently, circuses. 
something to do with it as well as zoos. Okay. Yeah. So according to the Amazon description. Yeah, let's see what how Amazon so described it. So it's Batman Kate Crusader is pitted against demented, ravenous penguin, pitiful, orphaned, psychopathic freak, and power-hungry capitalist villain Max Shrek. So no mention of Catwoman. No, of course not, even though that was really, really one of the... Like that, honestly, between her and Danny DeVito and Christopher Walken, I remembered Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people seem to say when I tell them what, when I would say we're doing this episode, and they would immediately be like, "Oh, the iconic Catwoman!" Like, right. Um, and also, I just want to mention my favorite part of this Amazon description is that power is in quotes, of course, because he's there's a power plant involved. Yeah. I love it. A silly pun that's you only to- would get if you've seen it. <laughs> In a Marvel, not a Marvel, a DC movie for sure. Yeah. Because also the original Batman series had all of the kind of uh, puns. Oh, oh, absolutely. So I think it kind of gave a lineage to that. Well, yeah, they they definitely leaned in in this one. I haven't seen. So disclaimer: I've seen all of these era of Batman movies. I've seen all the Christopher Nolan ones. But I saw them all in one very drunken day. Right. So I only remember bits and pieces. Um. But oh, Samantha and I did rewatch this one for this show, so yes. I, I have seen it. But I do, I've, I got a sense that they really leaned hard into those puns. Right. I think the second one was a little more, because the first one was also by Tim Burton. And I feel like you see the same darkness, but the second one seems a little kitschier. Mm. But to be fair, I guess you have that origin story of Batman, so the darkness of, you know, seeing his parents die and all of that and his, him coming out to the community as, you know, this vengeful Right. Hero. Uh, but you do also have the Joker doing a majority of the puns and being somewhat kitschy. Mm. As in the second one, I think it's just kind of all happened. And you did mention about the fact that there wasn't many scenes with Keaton. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. He's in like a fourth of it. Yeah. Um, he's really not about him, in my opinion. No. Um, especially the first half. Yeah, like, it definitely what? was all the, the <laughs> origin stories for Catwoman. Yes, and I love that. So let's talk about Catwoman. Yes. So Michelle Pfeiffer played her, Selena Kyle, um, slash Catwoman. And when the movie starts, Selena Kyle is the embodiment of the crazy cat lady. Um, she's sort of frumpy in her outfit. Um, she has these glasses on, which we all know in the 80s. That meant, well, it still, I guess, means that. Yeah, people still sexy. use that as a thing of like, unless you're doing library-esque uh, yeah, type yeah, of yeah. thing, librarian-esque, mm-hmm. is still like the transformative moment. Yeah, you take which off is the glasses. ridiculous. And-, and by the way, Michelle Pfeiffer frumpy is an oxymoron. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she says, I love this, when she gets into her empty apartment, she says, honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot I'm not married. Right, right. <laughs> um, and she is the executive assistant slash secretary right. of Max Shrek, um, who is the ultimate sexist boss. He regularly demeans her. He dismisses her. He humiliates her, like, publicly. Um, when she speaks... Uh, she does so as though she doesn't want to be heard, and she voices things in questions. Um, <laughs> after she, what does what does Christopher Walken say? We haven't housebroken her yeah, yet. Yeah, and he leaves, and then she calls herself a corn dog herself. Like, oh, you're so stupid, you corn dog. Um, Which is a great phrase. I'm going to use that. I'm going to call everyone a corn dog. I haven't heard that insult in a long time. And I really appreciated <laughs> it, um, especially coming from Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. It's very funny. Um, and then this is around the time where the, the Christmas present thing goes wrong and Michelle Pfeiffer gets attacked 
and it's held hostage by a clown. Yes. Um, and well, and he has like a taser, and Batman saves her and then kind of just leaves. Uh, because she's invisible at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then uh, she has to go back to work late, and she discovers that her boss is up to no good. Up to no good. Yeah, she's basically she's she's smart enough to be, to be like, wait a minute, your power plant is gonna suck power from the city. What's going on? And then he's like, oh, you're very good at your job, too good perhaps. Um, and he pushes her. Out a window. <laughs> um, and uh, he, yeah, and in his mind, what value did she have? A poor, lonely woman. He just pushed her out the window. Right. Yeah. And this is when she becomes Catwoman, I guess, after a bunch of cats walk all over her and one bites her. Yeah, we do see, her, see it nibbling on her finger. And there's blood involved. Um, and so she, I love this. She goes home. <laughs> she looks like a zombie. Yes. Um, and she says, honey, I'm home again. Uh, and then she listens to her answering machine. And there are three messages on it. Uh, one from her mother, uh, one from her ex, well, basically her boyfriend breaking up with her, says his therapist said she, <laughs> he doesn't need an appendage anymore. Um, and then a third one, which is from... A perfume company that's basically pushing how women's sexuality is their currency, which, by the way, is a callback to her comic book roots as a sex worker mm. um, and um, how capitalism profits off of that, like the systemic kind of sexualization, objectification of women. And also, it's from her boss's company. It's her boss's department store. So, she really uh, <laughs> transforms. So, she gets... Um, a, like black spray paint and starts spray painting her apartment, which, by the way, is like all pink and really kind of girly. Well, there's stuffed animals, as we discussed. Yeah. It was very much of a young, young girl. Right. Trying to grow up to be a woman. It was a transformation to be a woman. Yeah. So she gets out of the black spray paint, spraying things down. She goes into her, her closet and pulls out a black jacket um, and starts kind of frantically sewing it together to make this cat suit. And um, I just want to, like, reiterate, she survived an attempted murder, returns home, and thinks to herself, revenge, <laughs> but first outfit. <laughs> I love it. Who does it through that? I mean, you can't kick someone in a skirt, which is what she's been wearing the entire <laughs> yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, as part of this transformation, her voice becomes deeper, kind of cat-like and purring. Mm -hmm. um, she uh, she has this sign, a, a neon sign that said, hello there, but she breaks it so that it instead says, hell here. That's one of my favorite things. Right. I want that you sign. Want that. It's very pink as well. It's a reminder. Yeah, the sign is pink. Um, and I feel like this scene is a very screw you to the white picket fence kind of perfect life that we've, a lot of us have been told, this is success, this is the only way. Um, so, yeah, she becomes overcome with a self-destructive desire for revenge. Um, and in this way, she's a great mirror for Bruce Wayne's character, where he is all about justice. She is all about vengeance. Um, he is a member of the wealthiest class. She decidedly is not. She is torn between, um, what she should do and what she wants to do between the tragedy of her past and the potential to make the future into something better. And Batman even says to her at the very end, we're the same, split right down the center. 
And yeah, I do like that it's her origin story we see. Uh, Batman saves her, and then she stabs him, which seems to be a direct criticism of the damsel in distress. He offers her a fairy tale, uh, the ending women have been taught to want, and she is like, oh, I couldn't live with myself, and then scratches him in the face. Yes, and leaves a hook. Or a claw. Yeah. Leaves a claw. Uh, she is not a sex object, or at least she is that and something else. She is scary, unhinged, and a total nightmare. Yeah. That crazy girl, right? Pfeiffer put a live bird in her mouth for this movie, which Six you told seconds. me about. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, she actually did this. And Penguin, who totally does objectify her, describes her as Beauty and the Beast in one luscious Christmas gift pack. Yeah. Also, he's just disgusting in every way. Yeah. Um, and... When she, they kind of make a pact to work together to take down Batman. And when she refuses his advances, because in his mind, there was going to be this romantic sexual component to them working together. And when she's, she refuses his advances, he says, you sent out all the signals, you lousy minx. I ought to have you spayed. And then he attacks her and costs her one of her nine lives. Um, and also of note in this conversation, Penguin does he die? He dies. Yeah, he dies. Uh, when he picks the cute yeah. umbrella at the end, the feminine one, uh, which does nothing against the white heteronormative masculinity of Batman. Yes. Uh, and also um, a, another line we wanted to showcase is when Catwoman, one of the first things she does is break into the department store owned by uh, her boss. Right. Uh, and these two guards see her, and she's in this very sexual, sexualized outfit, very sexy. Uh, and one of them says, oh, I don't know whether to attack or take her home. Uh, uh, or maybe he says, I'm in love. Anyway, basically, should I attack her or try to get with her? And Catwoman says, you men always confusing your pistols with your privates. Yes. Very sultry-like, too. Yes. And then she just blows up the department. She doesn't steal jewelry. No. Uh, and she tells him to leave. Yeah. So yeah she yeah, doesn't yeah. kill anybody yet. Yet. And she, that's when she gets the whip, uh, her weapon. Um, and then when <laughs> Batman attacks her, she says something like, how dare you? I'm a woman. But then immediately strikes back and finishes her thought with, as I was saying, I'm a woman and can't be taken for granted. Life's a bitch. Now so am I. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she really leans hard. I felt like into the hysterical label that has so long been used against women. Right. She just went for it. She did. You're going to call me that? Okay. Crazy cat lady? I'm going to be a crazy cat lady. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Oh, yeah. And I just want to say, talk about some UST, unresolved sexual tension. Yes. I did read a lot of accounts from people who saw this when they were uh, maybe adolescents and were saying that it was a real formative. (laughs) It really was. Her licking his face alone was like, oh. Huh? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, after Batman kind of offers her this fairy tale ending, um, she refuses, and instead she dies getting her revenge on Shrek. But she has one life left, so maybe she didn't die. And now you see, spoiler alert, you do see her at the end. Do you? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I remember he gets out of the car, She's and he's the one like, looking at the bat sign. Oh, is she? Yes. 
I was. You were the one that called it out. I was checked out, friend. <laughs> All right. So when this movie came out, it was in the middle of the third wave feminism, and some people have interpreted Catwoman's storyline as a feminist awaking and finding identity. I would agree with that. One of her first acts as Catwoman is rescuing a woman from rape and then berating that woman for acting like a victim. And she's not looking to be a hero. She's just enraged and knocking and looking to break the patriarchal system. She's angry at everyone who participate in it in her mind allows to continue it. Uh, So, as she says, you make it easy, don't you? Always waiting for some Batman to save you. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. Yeah, that was the first thing she did when she got out. And she even says to uh, the potential... Victim. The man attacking her... Go easy on me. It's my first time. Yes, yes. Because yes. he was like, what? So also perhaps she's yelling at her past self, who she is saved by Batman early on in the movie when we were talking about with the circus people. Right. Um, and she takes the taser from that attacker and later weaponizes it against her enemies, which she did actually use on that clown as well. But he was already out. Right. She uses it at the end. She, like, puts it in her tongue. To electrocute. And then kisses Christopher Walken. Um, right. So, like, she's kind kiss of... of death. Yeah, she's weaponizing her sexuality. I guess you could read it that way. Um, And then taking this weapon from people who would do her harm and using it against against them. Right, because he did try to have the last word and tell her she's fired. And he tries to kill her and runs out of bullets with two of her lives remaining. Right, right. And yes, we do have to talk about her outfit. Mm -hmm. Um, It is perhaps one of the most forfeiting outfits ever to grace the big screen. Um, Pieces of shiny black leather stretched over her body and stapled together as if to represent the fragile nature of her psyche or that she's barely being held together. Um, And the whip, of course. Um, So the whip being more about punishing and pain than about killing. Um, And there was uh, definitely some misogyny in the way critics wrote about about. Her, Michelle Pfeiffer, and the outfit. Um, Here's an example from the Rolling Stone. Off to the side, Michael Keaton, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, was enjoying the hell out of the moment. Oh, it was tasty. Here was Mrs. Two-Time Oscar nominee, Mrs. Actor's Actor, Mrs. Total, get it in two takes, professional, held in check by a few pounds of wet, sucking latex and a pair of pointy ears. Ugh. That's a weird uh, comment. Yeah. Um... They had to cover Michelle Pfeiffer in baby powder before she donned the suit, which they then vacuum packed. Yeah, she just recently talked about it during an interview and about how awful it was and painful it was for her. So, Catwoman outfits ranked. So, many thought pieces on the cat suit. There's different variations. Some see it as embracing the sexual objectification of women and weaponizing it or maybe rejecting male superhero garb and thus the patriarchy and leaning in hard to... The feminine. So Julie Newmar, who I really, I watched growing up, and I'm not that old. So I was was watching uh, reruns. Just Uh want to put that out there before they think I'm... It's okay to be that old, but I'm not that old. I just uh-huh. want to put that out there. Uh, Julie Newmar, who played Catwoman in her first on-screen appearance in the 1960s, uh, wrote in a letter to the Huffington Post, Every girl is a Catwoman. There will always be a Catwoman. Catwoman is forever. And her costume was per- perhaps the most tame and the most kitten-like. It was a black sparkly suit uh, reminiscent of a corset around the waist, complete with a gold belt, and, of course, cat ears. Lee Merriweather, who was in the movie, wore pretty much the same thing when she played her. And then there's Eartha Kitt, 
who took over from Numar, uh, she wore the same thing but adjusted the placement of the necklace, pulling it higher. Yeah. And then, of course, there's Halle Berry, uh, who played the titular character in Catwoman. Uh, she wore a push-up bra, leather gloves, whips, uh, tight leather pants, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Very dominatory dominatrixy. I have not seen this film. I've seen parts of it, including the infamous catnip scene. But I know it's about an addictive beauty cream targeted towards women and playing on the fact uh, that all these high beauty standards we place on women. So we probably would have a lot to say about it. I also know Sharon Stone is the one behind the beauty cream. Right. People are like, don't be telling me Sharon Stone is not hot even if she's older, okay? Right. And she, <laughs> yes, she is beautiful and hot. And also, this is the one that won the Razzie. It is... Considered, it was considered one of the worst films pretty bad. Uh, ever created, <laughs> From ever made. I've seen, uh, but I think also there was a whole conversation about it being really heavy-handed, and yeah. it was trying way too hard. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the main characters was named Ophelia Powers. Yeah, Ophelia Powers. That's come on, y'all. We can do a little better, but I guess it could Max. be. <laughs> I was gonna say it could be that we're just looking at a different lens because all the other ones are fairly heavy-handed as well. Whether yeah. it's some kind of pun, whether it's some kind of like over the top. Yeah. Whatever. But it just, yeah, it was not a great movie. It made me sad. So you've seen it? Uh, I've seen parts of it. Okay. And I didn't finish it. Okay. All right. Just clarify. <laughs> just, not, neither of us has seen it, but from what we have seen, yeah. Yes. Left some room yes. to be, left some things to be desired. Um, and then Anne Hathaway's version. Um, this one, she was meant to be the most functional. Her outfit was meant to be the most functional. It's a black leather stealth suit, and the cat ears were the points of her night vision fancy crime goggles. Um, her stilettos were weapons. I think I've mentioned on the show before, I did used to cosplay her, and sometimes I still do, and my experience was everybody loved that costume. But they also love telling me that they didn't like Anne Hathaway. Um, oh, poor Anne. Yeah, we've talked about that on this show before, how people... Just don't like Anne Hathaway because they see her as prissy. Uh, she's vegan, uh, persnickety, but really, it seems to me she just knows what she wants. Well, I was gonna say Natalie Wood would be the same. She's a vegan, all of those things, but she's not as disliked, yeah, <laughs> seemingly as Anne Hathaway is. Maybe that's another per- another episode. Um, <laughs> And then we wanted to end with this uh, for our discussion of Catwoman. Gloria Steinem's review of The Dark Knight and Anna Hathaway's performance read, I saw The Dark Knight Returns last night, and among other things, Catwoman is a feminist superhero with a storyline and transformation of her own, plus class consciousness, a girl buddy, equal skills with the Batman equipment, and an apartment of her own in Old Town. And she gets the guy. Yes, she does. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of our look at uh, Batman Returns with Merry some Christmas. Catwoman extra. Merry Christmas. We do have a little bit more for you, very brief run-through. <laughs> uh, but first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. 
They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night. And it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played. Hours. And uh, yes, I lost. But I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back a little bit with Iron Man 3. Yes. I'm going to blaze through this. It's been a minute since I've seen this one too. I'm not going to lie. I have a hard time remembering all of this. Okay. Well, I got you. I got you. All right. So we open on Blue by Eiffel 65. The year is 1999. Tony Stark is about to bang a scientist named Maya Henson, played by Rebecca Hall, who has this plan all about regenerating plants or something. Um, He stands up an awkward Aldrich Killian, played by Guy Pearce. Uh, And then, yes, we skip to the present MCU timeline, post-Avengers Assemble, and Tony has built a bunch of Iron Man suits. And it's Christmas time. Uh, One of the first scenes is uh, him trying on his new Iron Man suit to Jingle Bells, kind of a sassy version of Jingle Bells. Um, And Tony is clearly distant and struggling with maybe PTSD, definitely anxiety attacks post-New York City and the Avengers, um, which is impacting his relationship with his wife, Pepper Potts. Wait, they weren't married then, were they? I didn't think so, but... A lot of places, right? His significant other. Okay, because they, they didn't get married until after the first. Uh, the, the wedding was in yeah, the Avengers part in, one yeah, endgame. Infinity You're right. Wars. You're right. So significant other. I, why I put that? <laughs> well, I put that originally, but then everywhere I was reading said wife. And I was like, oh, no, really? No. Maybe they got divorced and then got remarried. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> a now not so awkward and pretty handsome Aldrich Killian shows up to meet Pepper and is very flirtatious with her. Uh, Tony's head of security, suspicious, stumbles on a mysterious plot, gets severely injured. At the same time, you have a string of terrorist attacks orchestrated by a villain known as the Mandarin, and this has the press clamoring after Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, asking him if he's going to do something about it. And angry about what happened to his head of security, Happy, Stark challenges the Mandarin on live TV, 
uh, gives away his home address, which I feel like is pretty obvious where he lives, but whatever. I guess it's the challenge. I don't know. Uh, so when he arrives home, Pepper is packing, and also he has once again given her a gift that she clearly doesn't want, a huge rabbit custom made. Um, at this point, Maya shows up at the door and is like, hey, I think my boss works for the Mandarin. And then all these missiles start pulling into their house, and Tony is able to save Pepper and uh, Maya Henson, Rebecca Hall's character, uh, by putting them in some of his Iron Man suits and blasting them out. Uh, he manages to escape, but not before his suit takes major damage and is pretty much non-functional when he lands in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. As he's trying to repair his suit, he meets a young boy who promises to help him secure some supplies uh, because everyone thinks Tony is dead. Um, and then, all right, he finds out about this project called Extremis, Extremis that Maya was working on with Killian that experimented on injured soldiers to regenerate lost limbs or other injuries, but it left these soldiers unstable. Like, I will explode <laughs> spontaneously unstable. Uh, Iron Man, he's, like, trying to figure out what he's going to do, how he's going to save the day. He's on the verge of a panic attack when the kid says, build something. You build things, right? Just go build something. So he goes back to his roots, um, and as this is happening, Pepper is captured by Maya, who is working for Killian, and is used in the extremist experiment. Um, Killian even tells her that she is a trophy uh, when she's strapped into this pod in a sports bra and tight pants. Uh, then Tony is captured after he discovers that the Mandarin is just an English actor pretending to be a terrorist. Um, and this is a big twist in the movie because he's a huge villain in the comics. Um, Tony, is he attempts to break out, but then uh, Maya tries to save him when he fails, and then Killian just shoots her instead of, of listening to her because she's like, you won't be able to solve your problems without me. I'm your scientist, and he just kills her. Um, and also, the president has been captured, and this all culminates in a battle between a superhuman Killian and his cronies, Tony, his pal, Iron Patriot, played by Don Cheadle, and a bunch of automated iron suits with the president and Pepper's lives hanging literally in the balance. The president is saved, but Pepper falls into a pit of lava, seemingly to her death. Killian is about to kill Tony, but then Pepper rises up from the depths of hell, metaphorically, uh, and now is all temporarily superpowered. She does some ass-kicking in like two minutes or less. Uh, then they kick ass together. Tony destroys his Iron Man suits and removes his arc reactor. Day is saved. It's complicated. Well, I think you just really wanted to do a plot line. <laughs> I was like, I did this before I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, boy, there's so many threads here. <laughs> um, All right, so let's talk about yes. action figures, let's shall do it. we? Yes. you and I had a discussion, and you were telling me a lot about this. So as you talked about in the female action figures episode, Rebecca Hall's character was originally meant to be the main villain, but the director was pressured by studio execs that a female villain action figure wouldn't sell. And I'm sure those Guy Pierce action figures left off the shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Uh -huh. sure. um, and Marvel Entertainment CEO at the time, Ike Permitter, said there was an early draft of Iron Man 3 where we had an inkling of a problem, which is that we had a female character who was the villain in the draft. We had finished the script and we were given no holes barred memos saying that cannot stand and we've changed our minds because after consulting we've decided that those toys won't sell as well if it is female. So we had to change the entire script because of toy making. Now that's not Feige, that's Marvel corporate, but now you don't have the problem anymore. Yeah, so... <sighs> 
it was really frustrating, I think, for a lot of people involved in the film. I know uh, Robert Downey Jr. was like, no, you got to give her more of a role. And right. Rebecca Holliday accepted it on kind of a different... Which happens a lot. Unfortunately. And especially to women. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, you can see our action figure episode for more on that. Um, and then I also wanted to say an interesting thing about Pepper Potts is while she spends most of her time being damseled in this movie and every other Iron Man. Yes. Um, she, although she is painted as an extremely business-savvy, incompetent woman, according to some internet sleuths, she kills the most people. She kills more people than Iron Man, on screen at least. She kills Iron Monger and Killian. Iron Man has only killed Ebony Maw on screen. Um, and then, yeah, I could come back and talk about her character because she's painted as sort of a nag. Like, she's never happy with Tony. Maybe because it's Gwyneth Quill- Quill- Paltrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another thing is a lot of people can't separate her from Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, she is used to make Tony feel jealous by the villain. She does spend most of the movie in distress. She's captured, tortured, and experimented on as bait for Tony. And then there's a lot of uh, talk about fake feminism right. and how just because she got to kick ass for two minutes or less that it's like execs are pointing to it. Look how feminist we are. Right. But it ignores Everything else, which was kind of the complaint for uh, in Endgame. Uh, is it Endgame or is it in the? Yeah, yeah, yeah it it's is Endgame. Okay. What is wrong with you today? <sighs> I've no. seen a lot of movies. Yeah. No, friend. so with Endgame, where they have that one giant yeah. scene, but they're like, "Hey, look, women, like you good didn't job, earn it." It's just so <laughs> token. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and then Tony, the character as well, is. I mean, he's a womanizer. He says a lot of things in the movie that are not great. Um, there's the, like. A, a beauty pageant that's not explained. Where there's that's all right. these women in bikinis running around. Such so as things like that. Um, and then random trivia. I didn't know this. Robert Downey Jr. got injured in the middle of filming and was down for the count for six weeks. And since they couldn't hold up production for that long, the creators made up a completely digital version of him for shots that didn't require dialogue or close-ups. So you can try to find the fake Tony Stark in there. Ooh. Um, but yeah, that was just a quick look at another superhero holiday movie. <laughs> Just admit it. You just want to talk about the MCU. I did. I did. And we do have a tiny, tiny bit more about the MCU. But first, (laughs) one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by China. The Chinette brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever. 
especially when we're all apart. So recently, I had a group and we had a, a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were nice. six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before, that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers and traditional or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with a special mention. Spider-Verse, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Oh, y'all. I'm going to, I really am going to live stream I, your, your reaction. The joy I feel watching that movie, it, it's exhilarating. It makes my face hurt. Um, it's like you, you're watching it for the first time. I know. The shock that you go through, the emotions. I, I go through the whole time. journey. It does. Um, and yes, I was. This is the movie I chose for Movie Crush. Right. Uh, the podcast by our friend Chuck. Um, and eventually he had to... He was like, Annie, we've got to stop talking. Like, but, but I haven't told you about the, the other things, the frame rate. Let me talk more about the frame rate. Um, but I did want to mention it because it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and it takes place at Christmas. Um, if you remember, Chris Pine's OG Spider-Man is featured on a holiday album in the movie, and the cast actually recorded several holiday songs that you can listen to and by if you want, um, including Spidey, It's Cold Outside, Swing Around the Mistletoe, Silent Night, You're Welcome, Joy to the World That I Just Saved, Spidey the Snowman is beginning to look a lot like a non-denominational holiday. Yeah. I think the only part that I realized it was holiday was because that song randomly comes on yes. in the security guard's room. Yes. And then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a holiday. There's snow. There's Christmas trees if you look. Um, it's diverse. It's gorgeous. It has fleshed out female Badass, vulnerable characters like Spider-Gwen, Penny Parker, Aunt May, Doc Ock. What yeah. a great villain. It was a good villain. Yeah. So Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's goal for the film, inspire young people to become heroes, inspire grown-ups to help them do it, and remind us all that you don't need to be bitten by a radioactive spider to do your part. You are powerful, and we are counting on you. Yes. I'm pointing to Annie right now. Yes. So. <laughs> what does he say? Not you necessarily, probably metaphorically speaking. Uh, no, 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 no. They're, they're counting on you necessarily. Um, but yeah, that's uh, just what we wanted to say about yeah. some less traditional holiday movies. Well, yeah. So there you go. Our not so Christmassy Christmas movies, which is the way I like it. I will tell you once again, I do do a lot of like, I said do do, uh, a lot of horror movies yeah. during this time uh-huh. because I do not like I'm not a fan of the season. I'm not it's, I'm not trying to be a, a Grinch necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, you have to cope with things the way you can cope with it. Uh-huh. Uh, so let us know your not so Christmassy Christmas movie recommendations and I would also consider Die Hard, which I know has been a debate. Action movie that takes place at Christmas. Yes, yes. and all, a lot of the Harry Potters as Christmas movies as well. Yeah, 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 we watched, you know, Deathly Hallows. A little bit. I feel like the first, the, the first, first two is, are the ones yeah. that I would consider, you Pretty know, Christmas-y. happy Christmas, Harry. Yeah, I think you know. he does it. It is Christmas at one point in Deathly Hallows yeah. Part 1, though. Is it? Yeah, when he goes to visit his parents' grave, it's Christmas. That's right, that's mm-hmm. right. So, yeah, let us know your recommendations, because I would love to know more 
and to watch more movies that are not yes. The Netflix movies that I'm seeing, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't want to watch those. Yes, and let us know what we should do for our next Feminist Movie Friday. And also, if you have any feminist movie thoughts, I know we moved through those pretty quickly. Uh, but <laughs> So if you have any thoughts about them that we missed, we would love to hear them. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou and on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Mm -hmm. Thanks to you for listening. Mm -hmm. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Jingle bells, Batman spells, Robin laid an egg. No? Okay. Okay. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.